the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Welcome to March. The turning of the calendar means we are once again in a month with Colorado football, with spring practices beginning March 18th, carrying through to the spring game on April 27th. I am joined for this episode by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland. We open with a brief update on the decline of the NCAA and college football as we know it. Perhaps summed up best as, the only parties who have the power to put an end to the current chaos are the ones who are benefiting the most from the chaos. We then turn our full attention to your buffs and to stories we expect to see from the offensive side of the ball this spring. Now, there will be plenty of fluff pieces on the progress the team is making during its close practices. So, with this episode, we try and identify the headlines which are going to be truly worth your time to click on, and which stories are just column fillers which are being spoon-fed to the media. Which stories are which? What should CU fans be looking for when there's a story about the battle for the top running back and wide receiver positions? Is the battle for the backup quarterback position going to be settled this spring? Are there going to be any stories about the offensive line development which are not going to be must-read? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back. And join from point south, not quite as far south as he was a couple of weeks ago, Brad Geiger. How are you doing? Back from vacation. Doing well, tanned, rested, and ready. So, uh, and looking forward for springtime to show up at some point. Okay, well, not looking forward for spring to come quite that soon is our ski bum, Neil Langland in downtown Denver. How's Neil doing today? Doing okay. Uh, getting ready to hit the slopes again as soon as my PT uh, lets me out of prison and just in time for snow season. So it's looking good. And in the meantime, though, I've been studying up on my buffs. So our <laughs> buffs, I'm sorry, they're not just mine. Well, you can claim them. I mean, they're they're yours, they're, you know, our team, your team. Well, we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to start talking about some actual Colorado football because now, as we're hitting the month of March, we're going to be talking about spring practices leading up to the spring game, April 27th. Get your tickets soon. I don't think they're for sale yet, but uh, and I don't know if it's going to be a sellout, but 
Uh, they'll probably be well attended. So before we start talking about the uh, different unit by unit previews for the offense, uh, we're going to back up a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, with Brad on vacation, Neil and I spent a good 50 minutes talking about the state of the state with uh, the NCAA falling apart and being attacked by on all fronts. Starting with, we went back to the O'Bannon case, all the way back to actually Jeremy Bloom. Talked about Dartmouth case where unions are now going to be part of our potential future and the Tennessee-Virginia lawsuit, which is going to get rid of nil NIL before we even knew what NIL was supposed to be. And of course, then the the holy alliance or the unholy alliance between the Big Ten and the SEC and their advisory group. But this is spinning out of control even faster than we thought. So, you know, before we get to the talk about the offense, Neil, you want to talk a little bit more about uh, the state of our world in uh, 2024, first of March. I wanted to go back to the uh, Oklahoma Georgia lawsuit against the NCAA decided back in 84, where a former buff, Byron White, dissented from the majority opinion that eliminated the NCAA's control over college football games, um, generally speaking. And in his dissent, Justice White said, this is going to fundamentally change the way college athletics is done. And that was a master of understatement given the tectonic stuff that's happened here. And I'm just trying to keep up with this and I can't. I've driven myself crazy the last few days with hypotheticals of what if then, if that. So I'm gonna try to stop torturing myself, trying to see how this is gonna play out I was curious what you guys had thought about developments in the last couple of weeks and in the last month, generally speaking, from a legal standpoint. And then, you know, how does this affect our buffs? And I have an idea of how it affects our buffs, but be interested what your, your legal training would, would shed light on this. I mean, the bottom line is the legal basis for the NCAA to set rules that did not allow players to transfer that did not allow them to get money did not allow them to have you know cream cheese on their bagels always had its questions and they only survived because of judges and to some extent lawmakers accepting the we can do anything as long as we call it amateurism the decline of the very concept of amateurism particularly you know the decline in um, the Olympics, I think, is probably the biggest thing. And the fact that the Olympics, there's no amateurs competing in any major sport in the Olympics. Everybody's making money, as they should. That kind of, the idea that the law should be based on this quaint notion about amateurism just has lost any kind of persuasive ability. And so absent some other legal basis to do it, we have, what we have is individuals demanding the same level of freedom and the same level of respect that people in other in professional sports and people in other industries have. 
you know, we don't say that you can't go to college while you're making money as a piano player. So it, and I think it begins to look more and more unfair. So as long as this is going to be left up to courts who have some discretion to determine what is equitable, um, we're going to see more and more collapse and we're going to see more of a contract version, which means that the big dogs are going to make contracts and make deals among themselves. And absent some sort of law that changes that, I think we're going to just see more of this chaos. So do you think antitrust legislation is ever going to come out of Congress? Or is it just going to be the SEC, the Big Ten, Fox, and ESPN just kind of deciding how the world's going to work and everyone else has to just fall in line because they don't have the power, the clout, or the dollars to contest it? My hope for rational legislation on this matter is low, in part because it can essentially, you know, there's enough senators in the Big 12 and SEC to block almost anything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I know the future is going to look a lot different than it was in the past. I know that it's going to involve more paying of players, more freedom for players. Um, I think it's going to involve much more money negotiated by more schools in the NCAA. But how that's going to look, anybody who claims they know, I think is wrong. They're just trying. And some of them, like the SEC and the Big Ten, have more power to do it than others. But I don't think Congress is going to save us. Okay. So absent any law and the courts being quite clear that any antitrust challenge is going to be granted, then no NIL regulation is going to be enforceable. No transfer policy is going to be enforceable. It's just going to be the wild, wild west that until the SEC and the Big Ten decide that they've run out of play or teams that are willing to play them for $5 million to get beat 45 to 7, that's the the future that we're looking at. The 14 team playoff, at least you know when they started talking about having four guaranteed spots for both conferences. Wow, one guaranteed spot. Now I think they dialed it back. Now the three three two two one model is now the apparently the favored model with three guaranteed spots for the Big Ten, three guaranteed spots for the SEC, two each for the ACC and the Big 12, and one for the group of five with three spots left over for at-large and or Notre Dame. (laughs) They got to get them, put them in there somewhere. So is that end of competition that, you know, that they're going to have guaranteed spots? I mean, I saw one article in it, uh, I think it was in CBS, where they talked about 60-some percent of all the slots in the playoff have been taken up by the SEC and the Big Ten anyway. So even if there aren't any guaranteed spots, I think they said if it was this year, the Big 12 or the Pac-12 would have had one spot, you know, and the ACC would have had one spot. The rest of it would have been pretty much all Big Ten and SEC schools. It would have been even worse than the 3-3-2-2-1 model. Is that our future? Is that what we're stuck with? Is that just inevitable? Some version of that, assuming we maintain 
this idea of the Big Ten and the SEC and the Big 12 and, and those divisions retain any kind of any kind of relevance until we have some sort of different version. But yeah, I, something like that. You know what? As we've watched talent in both coaching and players and the concomitant increase in wins just go to two conferences, this kind of became inevitable, didn't it? Yeah, and if they're talking about a model where the Big Ten and SEC each get 25 to 30% of the television revenue, then the ACC and the Big 12 get 15 to 20%, and then everybody else divides up the last 5 to 8%. When they already have all the money, and they'll make more money from the bowl games because they have more teams in the bowl games, mm -hmm. they already have more money than they know what to do with from you know just regular regular season television. They're already making twice as much money as the other, the lesser two of the power four. I mean, how much money is enough? I guess is ultimately going to be the deciding factor. Is there ever going to be a point where, like with Oregon, how big of a facility can you build? I mean, how many different TVs can you put in the weight room? Is there some point where there's a diminishing returns? You know, it it's for those of us who had some preference for the old system, it's a, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. But since we know that over time, money buys wins, and over time, wins get you money, <laughs> when does that cycle change? When people stop watching, I guess, but football rules broadcast TV and cable TV. Yeah, it's just it is the one thing that that the networks can rely on. Yeah, and that means they're going to keep paying it. And as you know, they're given massive contracts and making still making just truckloads of money on football. Guys, one thing that emerged from my chaos, building on what Justice White said about it changing fundamentally the way it works. Brad, as you said, and you, Stuart, that this is the wild, wild west. All of the other pro leagues here and elsewhere have decided we cannot let the dollars get too out of balance or else we will not have a competitive league and it will be less interesting. All of the leagues, whether they have an antitrust exemption or not, have realized that they are stronger if they have some sharing of revenue and some things which balance competition. NFL, they have reverse order of draft. They have sharing of television revenue and other revenue. We're gonna have a period perhaps of a couple of years where it's just the animal house food fight. And then I think <laughs> cooler heads are gonna prevail and try to get this organized some way to where it's sustainable because the way it is now, it is not. You know, for mm -hmm. example, the doomsday thing, a wide receiver doesn't get enough targets in the second game, decides, well, the hell with it. I'm going to school X and transfers Sunday morning and is playing for the, uh, a different team next Saturday. This is the kind of unlimited stuff that's going to destroy the game. 
somebody has to come forward and take charge of this. If not, it's going to be unwatchable for me at least. Yeah. And the problem is, is it's, you know, the only people that can decide to change it are the people that benefit most from it not changing. <laughs> Sounds familiar, does it not? Right? Yeah, but but you're right. I mean, there's no way the Green Bay Packers could compete with the New York Giants if it wasn't for the rules they have in place in terms of equal revenue sharing and stuff like that. And, you know, like you say, the draft, where the worst get the first pick, not the best getting the first pick which is what you have in college football. So they couldn't even see how the 12-team college football playoff worked out before they decided to change it. You know, yeah. we haven't even officially gotten into the 24 season, and they already decided that 12 teams isn't enough. So welcome to the, the chaos. But we do have a 24 season to talk about, and our Colorado Buffs are at least not part of the, the orphanage, which is the remnants of the Pac-12, they do have a, they'd get a landing spot to have at least a second tier power conference to participate in. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the buffs. Again, spring practices start second week of March. And if you've been a buff fan forever and are familiar with how stories get written and we read about spring practices, the coach or one of the assistants and a couple of players come out after practice, which, of course, is close to the public. If you're used to watching the YouTube videos, someone will ask a question. Well, you know, how's Jimmy Horn doing? And I'll say, oh, he's doing really well, running his routes, blah, blah, blah. And guess what? Tomorrow, the next morning, the Daily Camera has a story about how Jimmy Horn is doing really well running the offense for the 24 season. So, the way I wanted to break it down into what to expect from each unit here is can we kind of sift through the process stories here that what stories that you two think are going to be must read stories if you see a headline about defensive tackle getting injured versus um, a safety having two interceptions in a practice. Do you put it in the must-read category or do you put it in the save for later and maybe not have to worry about it category? So we're going to go through each unit of the offense. Next podcast, we're going to go through the defense and special teams. Brett, I'll start with you with the quarterbacks. Um, we've got a quarterback who is a potential top 10 NFL draft pick, and we've got two transfers and a redshirt freshman in Ryan Staub that has starting experience. So what kind of story would make you uh, click on it and say, yeah, this is an interesting story to me about the quarterbacks this spring? Well, obviously, anything that involves Shadur Sanders and the word injury. <laughs> <laughs> I will probably be following with a great deal of interest. What you will see a lot of are two things that I will pay limited attention to. One is. How is Shador adapting to the new offense? Because we can't know, especially if we're not watching it. And it's not like Dion or Shador are going to come out and say, yeah, can't read this dang thing. Don't, don't have the first clue. So anything we get on that's going to be spin. That same reason, so-and-so is leading the race for backup quarterback, especially with a new offensive coordinator. The idea that we're going to know who's going to, who's going to be the primary backup in spring ball I'll read it, but 
it's not going to mean a darn thing. <laughs> so those are the things that you just go, yeah, great. You know, Shadur hit seven passes and seven on seven coverage. Yeah, you skim past. But absent, like I said, some real significant issue with Shadur, this is going to spring trainings about these guys learning a brand new offense. And we're not going to know anything worth knowing by the time June runs, rolls around. Okay. Well, Neil, what's going to get you to grab onto the chairlift and not fall off? You know, what headline? Uh, something says Ryan Staub takes over the backup position. Is that going to excite you and turn into clickbait? Or are you uh, just going to take a pass on the backup quarterbacks and anything short of Shador decides he's going to transfer? is not worthy of our time in spring ball. You know, the, the usual stories this time, and I'm not trying to bang on the beat reporters, but it's the same stories every year. Right. Mentioned is that, and you mentioned, so-and-so had a great scrimmage, and we never see him in the fall, right? I mean, there are a ton of those stories, so forget about it. I suppose what I'd be interested in is who might be injured and unable to play. Maybe, you know, whether the new guys can play at all. I'm, I'm just wondering about, you know, how these new quarterbacks, if they fit in at all into the new offense. I mean, not in the strict sense that Brad was talking about, but, you know, just are they players? Are they going to be able to contribute uh, that that would be my interest for quarterbacks at this point. And it sort of relates to a little bit of what Shador said. I think it was uh, placed on the website about how he likes more certainty in an offense and less reads. And it, it's kind of getting ahead of ourselves by a week or two by a podcast, but I'll be kind of interested to see if we're going to have a little more imaginative offense that will allow Shadur and perhaps his backup to have a little more diversity and therefore a little more safety. Okay. So, well, before we move on to running backs, did either of you think Shadur's comments kind of was not very helpful if you were talking to an NFL scout that uh, he doesn't like things complicated. He wants to simplify the system if you're you know going to have him as a top 10 pick and pay millions of dollars do you think that that's a comment that you'd be a little bit concerned about in another context i might although remember there are plenty of control freak offensive coordinators in the nfl <laughs> so you know a quarterback that has a big arm who can has shown the ability when the play breaks down to improvise but says to me, listen, I'm going to do what the offensive coordinator tells me to do on the play. There is a large subset of teams are going to go. Yeah. Cause I'm better at that. And that doesn't make him that unusual. You know, the, the, the number of Patrick Mahomes are a little thin on the ground. And for a lot of his career, Tom Brady got a lot of success doing what he was told to do in that pocket and doing it well. So I don't think that that's, I mean, they're going to look a lot more at, his speed and his strength and not whether or not he'd prefer to do what the coaches tell him to do. Okay. Well, Neil, let's move on to running backs. 
talked about, you know, you're talking about the heroes of spring practice. Charlie Offered all is back, who uh, <laughs> one, one of our spring practice favorites, uh, still a walk-on, giving a lot of money to the University of Colorado. It'd be nice if they gave him some back. You got Dylan Edwards, the starter, coming back. You know, McCaskill, is he healthy? Makai Welch, the true freshman, one of the few freshman recruits, um, is an early enrollee. So, what headlines would get you excited about uh, the running backs, or is everything just going to have to wait till fall practice to get you interested in the process story about what's going on in the running back room? First of all, would be health, uh, McCaskill. You know, we expected something from him last spring and then in the fall, and it was just turned out he wasn't ready. It would be nice if there was an article that guy's 100%, he's bigger, stronger, faster, and, you know, doing okay. He just looks like he's comfortable. Uh, he doesn't have to be gaining a lot of yards. He just has to be picking up the offense and showing that he is at full strength. Edwards, like to see how his track experience really is helping him. It has helped others in the past, wide receivers that have run on the track team. I'd like to see how that's helping his game. And I do want to know what our freshman is going to look like. And I just want the notion that, again, to repeat, all these guys are healthy and they are showing some skill that we have some people that can play, that can do different things. That's all I'd be interested in reading. I don't care about stats. I don't care about spring ball, all Americans. <laughs> okay, well, well, Brad, the uh, Colorado rushing attack, and we'll put attack in air quotes, was <laughs> less than 70 yards a game last year, dead last in the nation, more than 10 yards a game behind the 129th ranked team. So the bar for excitement in the running backs is set pretty low. What will get you interested this spring that uh, – tells you that the running backs are ready to have a breakout season for the University of Colorado. Well, and I, you know, not to make excuses, I don't think that lack of running attack last year was necessarily about lack of talent at the wide, at the running back position. What I will be listening for, and it'll take a little bit of time is, is there going to be a bell cow? Is Dylan Edwards, if, if we keep hearing that Dylan Edwards had a lot of runs or that Anton McCaskill was carrying the ball a lot, I'm looking for, I think there was a real problem last year is the inability to pick anybody, perhaps because nobody stepped up and stood out. But if I keep hearing that, and I think it's most likely uh, McCaskill, although it could be Wilkerson, if I keep hearing that that's the guy that everybody talks about a couple times a week, then I'm going to start tilting my head and going, oh, we may have made a call here. You know, and maybe it's Edwards. Uh, so what I'm listening for is that we're picking a starting running back. We didn't have that last year. We didn't have it in spring training. We didn't have it in fall practice. We didn't have it in any particular game. And I, I know that the coaching staff has that problem. You can have running back by committee, but it doesn't work as well in the uh, in college ball. Yeah. 
it's it's going to be hard. I mean, the, Dylan Edwards had four touchdowns in the opener and one touchdown the next 11 games. And, of course, yeah, McCaskill played some, but as you guys mentioned, it was ineffective, uh, certainly wasn't 100%. Yeah, any news is going to be good news. Neil, you're going to you have it, uh, something more to say on the running backs? Actually, I do. Yeah, I wanted to add not things I necessarily want to see. One thing that I don't want to see is casting Dylan Edwards as a crushing pass block. <laughs> I think we, we need to have some sense of what each back can do and what they can't do, what their comparative advantage is, and then tap into it. And I'd also like to see, gee whiz, why don't we try some multiple back sets? I know that they're not going to want to reveal a lot of their offense, but eh, maybe a fullback type now and then, you know, have some ISO plays, see how guys do with that, how we block it, how we run it. Because I think we have guys that could do that rather than running just the simple read option every time for minus one yard. So I'd like to see these guys actually specializing a little bit more rather than trying to make one guy, if it's Edwards, he can't pass block. It's not his fault, but have these guys better suited to what they can actually do. Okay. Well, that's might be a little bit to ask with a grand total of four scholarship running backs on the roster. There may be some additions Come April, because, yeah, I don't know if you want to go into the season with only four and two of them, you know, Edwards and the, and the true freshman Welch are just scat backs. They're not going to do the blocking that Neil wants them to do. So kind of limits your options. But we will we will see. Well, Brad, one room that is not devoid of numbers, the wide receivers lost one to Varish Dawson is not going to be back. That's one piece of news that we've got pre-camp. But you still have a dozen wide receivers coming back. Is it all just going to be about how wonderful everybody's doing, or is there something specific that you're looking for in terms of a story that uh, will turn your head and say, okay, yeah, this is going to be one of the top units, not only in the Colorado roster but one of the top units in the in the big 12 you know do not pay attention to jimmy horn caught a long one today or um you know omarion miller had a nice day that's going to be true throughout the entire year whereas i don't love running back by committee the ability to just keep running fast guys down the field never bothered me a whole heck of a lot if you heard that so-and-so, maybe Miller, was making tough plays across the middle, that this has become that we have developed the guy who on third and eight always runs a nine-yard pattern. That'd be an interesting piece of information. I don't think we'll get it. Um, I think they're just going to – I think this spring's going to be about sorting and figuring out who can do what, particularly with the new offensive coordinator. So, again, assuming that there's no big injuries to any of the returning guys, I'm beginning to think that we'll just – that's going to sort itself out, and it may never sort itself out. There just may be, like last year, this game, this is the guy that Shador is going to find. Okay. Well, Neil, is it just going to be 
ignore every story about wide receivers because it's all going to be fluff pieces and they're playing in what the what was the coach that said it was playing in pajamas when you're you know they're not wearing pads and not hitting each other and it's all just seven on seven and no running 40 yard sprints and running under a bombs is there anything that you're worried about or anything that you're excited about there's a couple of summer enrollees like will shepherd is supposed to do some good things this year he's supposed to be here but he won't be here till the the summer but you got the jonte wester people seem to think is going to be playing you know getting some playing time um and you got a whole bunch of we actually had <laughs> freshmen that didn't play actual freshman recruits from last year that didn't play they're still on the team which is kind of hard to find you got you know some redshirt freshmen Three of them, wide receivers coming back. Any names that you're going to be looking for, or if it's something where you get a story about a wide receiver or about the wide receiver, you just hit the uh, save for later button and don't worry about it because it really doesn't mean anything until fall. Here's something that troubled me about last year and the wide receivers was we seem to have this flavor of the week thing going on for the first half is we would have a receiver come out and just have a lights out game. For example, like Edwards did as a running back and then see nothing the rest of the year or see very little from him, and barely even see him on the field, let alone get targets and even less rare was receptions. I'd like to have a sense that we have a diverse group that can do different things. Like Brad said, guys that can go deep guys that can go across the middle, a big receiver that can screen off a defender and get a first down on third and five. That's what I'd like to see is that they're developing diversity and a little specialization and, you know, having some, they've got depth. I don't know unless there's a rule change where Shadur can throw two footballs on a single down, how there's enough, to go around with that group. It just seems so deep. It's gonna be the hardest thing, I think, to try to sort out who gets snaps. And we're not gonna know that until fall. We probably won't know that until game three or four. Yeah, so is this gonna be a spring and a fall where we're more looking at social media quips about unhappy players that are ultimately gonna transfer out? Is that? more likely to be the storylines of the spring and the fall, that uh, it's not separation on who's going to be all the starters. It's going to be who are the players that are unhappy and don't want to be in Boulder anymore. I think there's going to be some of that. I think that that wide receiver room is just so deep. I think that could be a problem. Could be a problem at QB also, looking backward at that group. I don't know. That's going to be the thing is how they whittle this down. And if they have a story about that, I'll I'll read it with great interest. Okay. Well, if there's any story about tight ends, Brad, well, that's got to be interesting, right? <laughs> um, we actually have one. Well, two interesting storylines, really. I mean, you got you know transfer Medier coming in that might solve some problems, and you've got a defensive lineman, Savail Smalls, who's defected the defense and has turned over and become an offensive player. If you see a line as a storyline, a fluff piece, it has the words tight end in it. 
that's got to be something you want to pay attention to, right? I'll certainly at least click on that. Um, I no idea <laughs> what's happening that with that position. And if anybody in this country says they do, perhaps including the tight end coach, I'll be surprised if that would be honest. Um, yeah, I just don't know what we're going to do with that, how that's going to work. You know, obviously, I would love to have, like I said, I just want somebody who can run a slant across the middle and catch it for a five-yard pass play on third and four, which was a problem at times last year. And if you call that a tight end, which we did last year, or an H-back or whatever, I'm going to click on that story at least to hear what might have happened. And if there's a name that keeps coming up, I'll be interested, but I I ain't going to believe it till I see it. <laughs> Neil, are you equally jaded about the uh, the words Colorado and tight end being put in the same sentence? Or is this the year of the tight end? You want that six-yard gain on third and five? Has you found a couple of guys that can do that for you? You know, I am probably best at archaic references. And I'm going to uh, channel peanuts here where Lucy takes the football away. <laughs> and Charlie's approaching it to kick. And we've been seeing this tight end stuff for I don't know how long, how many coaching staffs. But I have two words, Mikey Harrison, well, two names, and Matt Lepsis. Harrison was just a big wide receiver. He wasn't a tight end, but he would line up there sometimes or line up as an H-back, but he was not a tight end. Uh, I don't watch a lot of the NFL, but I did watch some of the playoffs, and I was amazed at San Francisco has a tight end. Look at that. Kansas City has a tight end. Look what these guys can do. Look at the guy from, uh, from Detroit. It was amazing what they contributed to the offense. And I'd like to see that, not just on pass plays like Brad was describing, but, you know, hey, how about a little help on the run? How about collapsing that corner so we can get a running back out and get some running room? Lepsis, back, I don't know, he was around 2000, maybe a little earlier. He was a tackle dressed up as a tight end. And he, he was a ferocious blocker. And he would go out five yards, turn around, catch the ball, and rumble and stumble and bumble for another two or three yards. She was, it would be nice to have something like that. I think the game may have changed too much, but I would like to see them try a real tight end. And if they have a story like that, I'm all eyes. Yeah, it would be a clip and save to see a story about a Colorado tight end having success. but. Yeah, it, uh, I think it's fair for any Buff fan at this point to be skeptical about any positive story about a tight end play going forward, but we will see. Well, of course, Neil, we saved the, the best for last. The offensive line, somehow it always turns out to be your turn when we start with the talking about the offensive line. Don't know how that works out. Maybe it's just shrewd planning by the host. But the whipping boy for the offense, and most likely deservedly so from pretty much any objective standard, 14 bodies, a couple returning starters, five transfers that were starters at FBS schools, 
Admittedly, we are not experts at the X's and O's in terms of what the, is going on in the trenches, but there's got to be some positive news coming out of the offensive line. And what's going to turn your head that it's actually happening? Are you concerned about the rookie offensive line coach? What uh, what's uh, what's going to make you interested in stories about the offensive line? Or since it's the worst unit on the team and needed the most improvement, it's got the most turnover. Is pretty much every story about the offensive line going to be a must-read for you this spring? Well, I think it's going to be a must-read for most of us. Certainly, there was a post I read today on the CU at the Game website about Phil Loholt getting endorsements from ex-Oklahoma players. And it was the opinion of that poster that Lodeholt was a beast and he's going to turn these guys into fire-breathing behemoths that I'd like to see a story about that, how he's doing. That would be very interesting. I'd like to see whether or not Savion Washington is going to be able to keep his job because other the other four positions are up for grabs, it seems to me. And I want to know who's playing center and how that rotation's working. Spring ball, they're going to try several guys there. But the guy they brought in from UConn, I'm going to, going to dig deep on how he's doing because he is very athletic, but he's a little on the light side. Be very interested to see how our five-star tackle is doing, whether or not he is projected possibly as a starter or if they're going to ease him into it. And I'm just very curious how... Tyler Brown is going to fit in because we've heard a lot about him and he got hosed on the transfer portal thing, something that is no longer a rule, but we're yeah. lucky to have him around now. And I want to see what he can do at this level. I'd be very interested to hear that. So those are, I could go on forever, but let's stop there. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll go on forever, but we'll come back to you, Brad. That, yeah. Tyler Brown. I mean, that's, great that he got denied the second transfer and of course a couple of months after he gets denied a transfer the NCAA capitulates and says no you can have two transfers it's fine we don't really care meanwhile you know Colorado self-imposing recruiting penalties for violating NIL regulations while everybody no, else on the planet's crazy. ignoring NIL regulations or if they get caught, they sue the NCAA and win. So welcome to Colorado football. Is it just going to be, hey, Jordan Seaton is a freak of nature? Is it Tyler Brown's earning his stripes? Is it transfers, Justin Mayers coming in, you know, as a star being, you know, layman when it comes to understanding the X's and O's and who's going to be a guard, who's going to be a tackle, who can pull, who's strong enough and fast enough to play the position. We're going to get a whole bunch of stories about the offensive line. Are there uh, key words that your little brain computer is going to be searching for that will stand out to you in terms of the offensive line? Or is it all just going to be, hey, nobody got injured, nobody transferred, so we're good? Sadly, CU fans informed CU fan, kind of treat offensive line news like the Royal Watchers wonder about 
Harry and Meghan and William and Kate. <laughs> okay, so there is no news too minuscule. There is no story too unimportant. There is no puff piece too soft that we will not read this spring. It is a sad truth. I swear to God, if his, you know, big brother in a wheelchair shows up for somebody, I will read that story. It's just, we, we, it's just too darn important. It's just too darn hard to predict. You can either say, I'm going to read everything, or say, I'm not going to read anything until five guys show up on the first game. Those are really, sadly, your only two choices. And the three of us know who we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're stuck reading everything. Yep. <laughs> Poor Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Um, <laughs> I have to admit, my wife made me watch the series. So I know all about their their woes with the royal family. Neil, I mean, what is it more important to try and get a starting five in the spring? That doesn't seem real likely. You want to see a center. There's a couple of candidates for center. Do you have favorites that you think are more likely to stand out and become starters in the offensive line? Or are you just looking for stories saying that the competition's too great and we can't pick a starter? What, what will make you happier to see we've got our six to eight best guys and we're ready to roll? And they're going to start getting cohesive and start working together as a unit. Bond that we need to have as an offensive line because you need them to play as a unit. Or you like a story that says, hey, we got 10 to 12 guys that can play at the power five level and we can mix and match anytime we want. Uh, yes. I <laughs> think I would like to see is like any spring ball, there's going to be endless experimentation. They're going to try every tackle at guard and the reverse. They're going to try a few guards at center. It'd be interesting to see some of the combinations they come up with. For example, they have some good guard candidates. Maybe Tyler Brown can play center. Maybe we have three tackles that can actually play, and we're going to try to find room for them. We may have a rotation. I, I think it's probably not optimal to have five picked out right now i think they're just trying to find guys that can play as brad said who can move who can pull and run upfield and get a block who can hit a moving target who can we count on uh, in a power situation who's a good pass blocker i mean they're going to have to just identify at this point exactly what they have and then over the summer give those things kids to work on giving those kids something to work on, excuse me. And it's all going to come down to the last two weeks of fall practice. And that's the way it should be, I think. Okay. Well, any closing comments about the offense in general that you have for us, Brad, that you're looking for? The offense scored more points than they did last year or the year, you know, in 2022. Passing game was really, really good at times. Uh, what... What are you looking for from the offense in spring ball? What stories are going to be most important to you to look for as a offense, as a complete unit? The talent is better. Probably as good as we've had on the offensive side of the ball in six, seven years. If we get any sense, 
that were slightly better coached, eh, maybe more than slightly, and that they're playing as a unit, I'm going to get excited because I truly do believe, I think the offensive line will be approved. I think we're playing in a easier conference. I think this offense has the potential to light up some scoreboards. I think uh, given some of the teams we play and who we've got on some talent, we're going to be in some track meets and it's going to be fun. (laughs) Okay. Well, Neil, no uh, three yards in the cloud of dust. With your offensive line to dominate the Big 12, become the Iowa of the Big 12, uh, rely on defense and you know, score 12 points a game. I uh, hope not. Oh, my God. It would be nice to be able to get three yards when you need it. Um, <laughs> I've not been able to do it for a long time. Not three um, yards in a cloud of dust on third and seven? Yeah, that was... <laughs> exactly. And... What I'd like to know is that Shadur is fully healed yeah. from all of the pounding that he took last year and that he is coming along and that his psyche has been repaired. Not that it was badly damaged, but any bad habits he may have developed like happy feet or tapping the ball or holding it too long, that he's working on those and curing that because as Shadur goes, so goes this team. And that's the the major thing I'd like to see is that he is upright and just lighten it up. Very good. Well, that's an upbeat way to to leave it for now. Two weeks, we'll talk about the defense and maybe hit on the assistant coaches, the new coaches that we have coming in and how they're going to impact the spring and how they're going to impact the buffs in 2024. So gentlemen, as always, Thank you for your time, and we will talk with you soon. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation. I hope you are subscribing to the podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the Suit Game website. I will be back in two weeks with Neil and Brad, and we'll be taking a look at the Buff roster on defense, as well as how the changes in the coaching staff will affect play this fall. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go bus. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.